This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. HPC in the AWS cloud, This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. On this special sponsored episode of This Week in HPC, I'm joined by Ian Coley, who's the General Manager of High Performance Computing for AWS. Ian, thanks very much for joining me this week in HPC. Thanks for having me, Addison. I should have introduced myself. I'm Addison Snow with Intersect 360 Research, and one of the big trends that we've been tracking in high-performance computing over the past several years is the evolution of cloud or public cloud resources for the use of HPC applications. That was the biggest growing product and services segment for the last two years. We're forecasting that to continue to grow from over $1.2 billion in 2018 at over a 20% compound annual growth rate to cross $3 billion by 2023. AWS is the number one provider of public cloud resources for high-performance computing applications. Going back to several years ago, cloud just didn't have this kind of penetration into HPC, and now it does. From your seat at AWS, where you've been the market leader here, how have you seen the community evolution of how they viewed HPC in the cloud over the past few years? Well, Addison, it's really been come from two different areas. One has been just broader acceptance that the cloud is a viable option for HPC workloads. And Part of that is on our hand as the infrastructure providers of HPC services is really doubling down and bulking up our capabilities to where we could offer the best both compute and accelerated instances for HPC workloads. And that's been a commitment since I started here at AWS uh, a little over two years ago to really improve all aspects of our HPC offerings from compute, network, storage, orchestration, scheduling, partnerships, we've really made a commitment to this HPC community that we want to be the best place for them to run their HPC workloads, period. Yeah, that's been a big part of what we're seeing here, that originally we saw people who would just move out the parts of their application workloads, maybe they care about the least, the least differentiated. That can go to the undifferentiated compute in the cloud. But now we're seeing a buildup of real capability in cloud resources where people can start leaning a little more cloud first for the application of new technologies in parallelism or storage or high-performance networking or bandwidth. Talk about some of the new capabilities that people can get access to in their HP. HPC resources in the in the AWS cloud. Well, one of the areas we're seeing significant uptake on is both getting the latest and greatest uh, instances that we offer based upon Intel Cascade Lake processors, Intel Skylake processors, as well as NVIDIA V100. Uh, so we have both the top of the line GPUs as well as the top of the line CPUs, and giving customers the ability to get access to those at scale and see how their workloads perform uh, before they make a commitment one way or the other. Yeah, and uh, that's been a big thing that that we think will be a shift in this space where I'm trying to decide what do I want to buy for my on-premise infrastructure. Most of these clouds are hybrid clouds. They don't entirely replace my on-premise infrastructure, but I get committed to 
on-premise infrastructure. And if I'm trying to evaluate those technologies before I make a commitment in-house, cloud can be a great place to do that. But your instances aren't just looking at, at compute. You've got some evolution of uh, high-performance networking there as well with things like AWS Nitro and EFA this year. Uh, Addison, our AWS Nitro cards were an advancement that we introduced at reInvent a couple of years ago. And what was significant about that is uh, prior to that point, uh, any virtualization took up a significant component of the underlying hardware. So if you had, a, say, a machine with 48 cores, you were only going to get, say, 44 that were actually workable for the virtualized instance. So now with AWS Nitro cards, you now have the availability of the entire underlying hardware at your service. So no CPU or memory is sacrificed at the cost of the virtualization layer. In fact, we have many vendors that as they're looking at our metal offerings, where we do offer a full metal stack that is non-virtualized, but when they benchmark versus our virtualized instances, see a very small uh, difference in performance. So Nitro was a key enabler to really taking away that virtualization penalty that you see from uh, many other hypervisors. And that's not the only uh, networking evolution that you've got. You also introduced EFA, or Elastic Fabric Adapter. That was new this year. Talk about that for a second. That's right, Asin. Uh, Elastic Fabric Adapter was made for our customers that really have those low-latency interconnect needs, that have those tightly coupled workloads, and that with the previous latencies we were seeing at AWS, anywhere from 30 to 40 microseconds, we're just not satisfactory for their workloads. With Elastic Fabric Adapter, it's using the same libib verbs, libfabric stack, uh, integrated with Intel MPI and OpenMPI, so um, working with the, the standard ISV codes that use those MPI libraries, as well as Nickel for accelerators. And we've gotten our latencies down around 15 microseconds. And what it's not just about that that half round trip latency though. Um, what we're seeing is that the underlying architecture of EFA is more with the scalable nature of AWS and cloud to where you're not limited uh, as you are with some of the InfiniBand uh, options that you've seen both on-prem and with other vendors, and it scales a lot better. In fact, we've seen uh, customers from the Navy Research Lab that have seen better scaling, better price performance with EFA than both their on-prem craze with InfiniBand as well as with other vendors with their InfiniBand cloud offering. Hitting one other high-performance computing technology before we get back to general trends, one of the bigger announcements I thought you made uh, in recent years was your adoption of FSX for Lustre. Lustre, of course, is the leading parallel file system we'd see deployed in high-performance computing installations, and now AWS has deployment for that. Well, being a former WAM Cloud Intel guy, Addison, I'm, I'm obviously biased there, and that we're we're really excited to have this Luster offering. Luster is the the premium uh, parallel file system in the HPC community, and one of the things we took away from many of our customer interactions is that you know Luster is complex. Luster is hard to set up. It's it's hard to stabilize. It's hard to keep running, and they didn't want to deal with that in a cloud environment, and so. What we offered was a fully managed Lustre file system to where you get all the benefit of the Lustre POSIX compliance, but backed by 
our S3 object storage. So what that allows a customer to do is to keep their data sets and metadata on S3 to hydrate those into a POSIX file system when they need it for their workflow, and then to shut the file system down after they've gotten their results and then save the data back to S3. So we've seen customers that have uh, changed their workflows from kind of the old days of having your standard scratch file system that's up and running all the time to really doing more of a dynamic use where we spin up the file system, hydrate the data from object storage, do your workflow, and then shut it all down. Coming back to high-level trends now for a second, it's not just cloud that we see a lot of adoption of, but over the last couple of years, the big news has been all around artificial intelligence and specifically machine learning. We've seen in our budget map studies that the majority of HPC users, over 60% now, have incorporated machine learning into their overall HPC workloads, and most of the rest are working toward the implementation of machine learning in the near future. Now, that's just within traditional HPC environments. And, of course, Amazon is one of the leading hyperscale companies, and hyperscale is where a lot of AI had its birth. Now, whether or not you consider machine learning training to be in of itself HPC or adjacent to HPC is almost beside the point. I think they're complementary trends. They're also quite complementary to cloud, and you probably see a great deal of that uh, AI, machine learning, analytics in adjacency to HPC in the AWS cloud. We definitely do, Addison. Um, we have several customers, especially taking advantage of our low latency interconnect there, the EFA we discussed earlier, um, to use their for their training workloads. Our 100 gig networking combined with EFA really allows for some extreme training environments. For autonomous vehicle workloads, Addison, we see a lot of machine learning training and simulations specifically around the miles that they have to drive with the autonomous vehicles. So rather than physically driving the millions of miles that are required to demonstrate the capabilities of these underlying vehicles, they're able to simulate those using the workloads on AWS. As people look to adopt HPC in the cloud, it's it's not just the fact that it's elastic. A lot of that has to do with if I'm the engineer looking at a design or my self-driving car or whatever it is, and, and I want to burst something out to the cloud to get it done dynamically, there's also the question of what budget does that sit in? Do I have the approval to go consume that in the cloud? There's a lot of work that the public cloud provider, I think, needs to do to make that easier to adopt just from a raw pricing standpoint point, but also from incorporating that into organizational budgets. Is that a trend that you've seen at AWS and that you've had to pursue in terms of making this adoption easier? That is, Addison, and uh, it's kind of comes back to a frequent mantra we hear from our customers is that they're really excited on the engineering and research side for the virtually unlimited compute capacity that we offer them. And then when you say that same phrase, to the cost side of the house, virtually unlimited computing capacity, their their eyes get big and they say, well, what kind of controls do we put in? Because um, kind of, uh, I don't know if it's quite FUD, but one of the common uh, apprehensions around cloud is that I do have aspect, I do have access to virtually unlimited capabilities. So what is that gonna do to my controls? And that's why at AWS, we've got, AWS budgets that really allow customers to set up uh, controls around their costs and when they spin up instances and when they don't. Um, we've got per second billing, so you've got that fidelity into the usage that you have and you're only using uh, paying for what you use for, as well as uh, our most common 
customer ask is spot instances. And what that is, is where we take our excess capacity in various regions that we're just sitting there for the dynamic needs of our customers. And rather than let it sit there unused, we sell it at a greatly reduced price to our customers. Now, what comes with that is the fact that those instances are interruptible. So we tell people to ensure that their workflows are architected appropriately. And if they can't handle interruption, if they're not checkpointing regularly, then these instances are not appropriate for them. But for the customers that, that can or that uh, kind of want to take a chance on their workflow getting through, we, we actually have seen customers that their savings are so immense that even if their workflow is not architected to handle interruptions, that they'd rather run it on spot instances. And even if they have to restart it, their cost savings are sufficient that they will try that in their workflow. Now, it's not just the cloud resources themselves. When cloud first kicked into a really high growth mode, one thing we documented in our research is that a big part of that growth was the extended partner community that surrounded cloud, the maturation of things like licensing models or products for the cloud or cloud-managed services to help transition workloads to the cloud. And there, AWS has also seen a maturation of its partner ecosystem. Am I right? We have, Addison, and probably our longest and deepest partnership has been with Intel, both um, as providing a joint go-to-market around the Intel optimized instances that we offer for high-performance computing users, getting access to CPUs before um, other vendors, as you saw with our, our Skylake offering. We had those out before other um, people in the ecosystem did. And um, just the, the joint commitment to do uh, software development, which is one of the most significant areas, was with AWS Parallel Cluster, which is our orchestration manager. And that started out as an open source project that was co-authored by Intel and AWS and was originally called CFN Cluster. But after enough uh, discussions with customers around, hey, is this something that AWS stands behind? Is this a fully um, supported service? We really just rebranded it. So it's still open source. Um, but we rebranded it as AWS Parallel Cluster so customers could see that this is something that will have the same sort of SLAs as in actual AWS product, but it's still jointly developed by Intel and AWS. So Intel's our largest partner by far, but um, some of our most significant partnerships lately have been with companies uh, like Ronin, where we talked about cost and cost management, and we've seen lots of traction from them, just giving uh, especially researchers uh, insights into their budgeting and really even allowing them to place limits on, hey, should this job even be scheduled uh, based upon my estimates of how much that that's going to uh, cost my budget. And so really giving those controls to the user and to their administrators to where they can set up those budgets for their accounts. And then also with Rescale, for those customers that are looking for more of that HPC as a service flavor that... Um, don't want to think about the underlying infrastructure and cloud partners, that uh, our Rescale partnership has been strong as well. We're heading into the supercomputing conference next week in Denver. What are some things that people should be looking for from AWS? Well, the biggest thing there, I'd say, Addison, is to go to our website that we've set up just for this show, which is aws.com slash hpc slash sc19. And you'll see both where our booth is, the various uh, events that we're sponsoring. And the, the one I'm most ex excited about, honestly, is uh, the Women in HPC workshop. Uh, we've had a 
a longstanding commitment to women in HPC and inclusion and diversity initiatives within the HPC community. And that's one of my um, personally favorite events. And so invite people to look at that on Sunday, as well as we've got a workshop for those people that are looking for best practices for HPC in the cloud that's put on by some of our top-notch solution architects from all around the world that are coming into Denver to present on how you can best architect your HPC solution on AWS. That website again is aws.com slash HPC slash SC19. I've been speaking with Ian Coley, the general manager of high performance computing at AWS. Ian, I'm looking forward to seeing you in Denver next week. You bet. See you soon, Asin. Thanks a lot for joining me on the podcast and thanks to you for tuning in. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.